The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hi, it's Mark Green here. I'm the medical director at Westridge and I've got to do something about that introduction because it always says, here's Mary Woods and here's Mark Green. Um, I'm the medical director. I guest host for Mary when she's away, about once a month or so. And today, I'm really pleased to be speaking with Peter Abachi. Hi, Peter. Hi, Mark. So, Peter um, is a board-certified um, pain specialist in anesthesia and pain management, and has been in private practice since about 1996. He's the medical director and co-founder of the Bay Area Pain and Wellness Center, which is in Los Gatos, California. And you live there with your wife and two kids. I do. Um, Peter's created numerous comprehensive pain programs to help patients overcome their struggles with chronic pain and improve well-being. And one of those is the acclaimed Functional Restoration Program. Um, And you also um, work as a clinical instructor at the Stanford Pain Clinic. So welcome. Thank you. We're talking... um, the occasion for our discussion is the publication of your new book, Take Charge of Your Chronic Pain, um, which is published by GG, GPP Life. Um, and um, it's a very comprehensive book, if I might say so. It's got a lot of um, very practical tips. I liked that. Um, so, Peter, um, tell us a little bit about what prompted you to write this book and what you and what different tack you might take, um, which in some ways distinguishes you from what, might people, what people might imagine if they think of someone who treats pain. Yeah, well, I, as you know, I, this is my, my first book, and I've been practicing for, for a long time and was never really on the, on the author track, um, but having been in the, the trenches, so to speak, working with literally thousands of folks with, with complicated chronic pain problems, I, I've come to realize over the years that uh, the system that they're in to try to get help is in many ways very, very broken um, and, and doesn't often work very well or serve their, their needs well. And over the years, I became increasingly, I, I guess, frustrated with the way things were and, and, and felt like, I could sit behind my desk every day and complain about it, or I could try to to do something to to make a change. And tell, tell us a little bit about what seemed broken and what was frustrating, and and often and really still is. By yeah, mind. yeah. Well, the the medical system is is typically wired. Our our healthcare system is typically wired towards trying to find 
things that are broken and, and try to fix them, or you know, as if we were a, a car and we can put a new part in and it'll start to to work as good as new. And when the system tries to do that over and over and over again, and, and sort of doesn't take a, a broader look at the at the the person or the car itself and see what really all its complicated needs are then not only does the, the person who's trying to get better not get better, but many times they go through a lot of treatments that actually make things worse. And that's where a lot of the frustration for me mounted. With now you're not just thinking about um, what kind of interventions do you find, um, which, you know, I, do, I don't want us to be black and white about this. I'm sure each of these treatments have their benefits, um, and we can... Um, talk about those, but also um, can really exacerbate some of the problems in this, um, initially, or or maybe it's just more of a systems perspective that you're talking about. Well, you know, for example, if you if you look at the the data, most people who get referred to a pain management center or a place that treats chronic pain, they've usually statistically have already had at least one surgery and in many cases they maybe have already had many and once you start operating on the body and and cutting and opening up tissues and moving things around and sometimes putting hardware in as is the case often with with spine surgery that that's a lot for a person to go through and for their their body and and their their spirit to try to persevere and recover from, and if they're, they're at the same time hurting already or, or having a hard time dealing with their pain, and then they're trying to recover or persevere through sometimes very extensive surgeries that are with the best intentions designed to try to, with the hope of them feeling better, but many times leaving them feeling exacerbated and, and feeling a whole lot worse, and that's where I see a lot of people come in through the through the front door. So this doctor's urge to do something often results in take, trying to take out um, a broken component of the car. When I was in medical school, I'd say if there's, if there's pain about, um, what was it? If there's, if there's pain about taking, the nerve should be out or something like that. You know, no nerve, no pain, um, which was, as we now know, very wrong-headed. Um, but the, um, there was this, idea that it is particularly in surgical circuits um, circuits that if there's something up you just take out the obstruction like the bad disc um, and things will be better that doesn't work exactly that's that's often the the mindset and and often it, it doesn't work and I you know I, I don't want to say that there's never a, a time or a place for that but when we're dealing with more chronic pain and, and we try to take something like a like a bad disc out and expect all the issues wrapped around that person's situation, whether it's problems with their their body, their spine, their musculature, issues dealing with maybe stress at work or, or conflict at home or, or medication dependencies or mood disorders like depression or all the sleeping problems, all the things that get wrapped around trying to deal with and manage chronic pain and, and to expect that just taking out a little piece of something from our, our, our body or our spine is going to make all that right 
it just doesn't work that way. But it's so intuitive and or so compelling. And as far as I know, the data on I mean, we've talked, we've mentioned back pain, but the data on um, back pain is particularly a um, particularly poor. So, is, am I right in remembering that if you if radiologists blinded radiologists view MRIs of the spine, they have no idea who's in pain and who isn't. Oh, that's really true. You know, to your, to your point, if you, know, if you take MRIs of people's backs who don't have any back pain, 60% of them are going to have bulging discs on, on their MRIs, and, and I think we have a tendency to over-rely on, on that kind of technology or, or that kind of tool to try to figure out what's going on with an individual when it's really often much more complicated than, than that, and, and that leads us down a path of just focusing on one thing and ignoring all the other important problems that somebody's dealing with that, that's contributing to the amount of pain that they're in. And I remember some research with knees, at least, but if you did a washout and actually didn't, didn't do anything, um, you could open up the knee and not take out any of the the disc or um, and just close it up again and people would get the pain relief and there'd be sham studies of um, of pain relief for um, knee washouts and things like that have there done any have there been any sham studies of discectomies where a certain group have had their back opened and the discs just left in place I don't I, I don't know that there has sure it crosses the sort of ethical lines of, of what they can do with, with that type of mm-hmm. research. But, but what is interesting, though, if you look at a lot of the studies done on, on placebos in pain, in the area of treating pain, the, the placebo response rate is, is surprisingly high. It's, it's often anywhere from 30 to 50 percent, depending on, you know, across the board for, for different kinds of uh, treatments and therapies. And while some people might look at that and say, gosh, I can't believe it's that high, I kind of look at it and say, well, it, it shows you the power of, of ourselves and, and how much we are invested in our, in our healing process and how important that is. So I, I actually I see it as a positive in, in many ways. Uh, at the same time, it helps me remember not to get too overexcited about any one thing that pops up that someone says worked really great for one person that's or two so, people. That's such a good point. But the, the placebo research is so fascinating because it's not, when you say people respond to placebo, the emotional response is often, well, you're just saying I'm just faking it or um, it's just the power of my mind. But there's been so much research which shows that the placebo effect seems to be mediated through opioids and through the endorphin system. Um, And um, that can predict who is going to respond to a placebo, not just in pain, but also for antidepressants. Um, And there's a real growing interest in understanding the role of the um, the pain mechanisms in mediating placebo responses, right? Oh, yeah, I think it has a lot of valuable lessons to teach us. Mm-hmm. The other set of issues, apart from getting the knife out and taking some disc or tissue away, um, is the use of pills and medications, right? 
that's the other way that doctors want to do something to intervene. Yes, and I, I, I think that if you look at the, the, the history or the, of the specialty of pain management or pain medicine is very short compared to other specialties in medicine. It's really been a specialty for only maybe 25 or, or 30 years. And if you look at what's happened in that short time period, there's been a huge shift and emphasis on the medication side of of pain management almost to the point of really overlooking all the other options that that might be valuable to 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 the patients and as i as i discuss in 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 take charge of your chronic pain there's there's a big payoff to to that and and wall street makes a lot of money off of people's pain and, and treating treating pain is is big business and the pharmaceutical Industry certainly has a vested stake, huge stake in, in treating treating pain, and as a result, they have a, a, a huge influence on physician education and what gets published and what gets taught and what lectures get get given. and And as yeah, a result, I, mean, I think that this is so um, such a appalling issue, and it's it's not just in pain management. Psychiatry has been really tainted by it, and medical, many areas of the medical profession have been tainted by this. But the um, OxyContin um, story was so um, devastating to that, where the um, Purdue Pharma had really um, marketed this to primary care physicians, and um, that became the dominant treatment program with disastrous consequences nationally in terms of rates of addiction. Um, and... There, but even now, it, well-meaning doctors might look back and say, well, what are the alternatives for us? And there's been a dearth of discussion and research about that. We're going to come back after a short break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. 
For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hello, welcome back to One Hour at a Time. It's Mark Green standing in for... Mary. Um, so we have Peter Abici, um, Abachi. Sorry, Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter, before the break, we were talking a bit about um, the problems with introducing um, all these treatments to the body and to um, the person. Surgical, we started with. We are mentioning the opioids and some of the over-reliance that we've had on the opioids, um, which we can come back to. But why is it, is there some neurobiological idea on why this should be a problem to be, um, you know, why can't you just take out the troubled nerve um, or take out the disc and relieve the pain or, you know, or, or what happens in the body that this, this, this doesn't work? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple of interesting things to, to talk about in that area. And, and the one thing I think that, everyone at home should keep in mind is ask yourself where is the pain center in in my in me in where's the pain coming from and where's where's where am i feeling the pain in my brain where where is it registering in my brain and when we ask people that they are often baffled by by that question as if well, I'm not really sure where, what that really means and where does it go and where does it come from. And that's because it doesn't really come from one place and go to one specific area of the brain. Really, the whole brain is engaged in the experience of, of pain and the experience of, of chronic pain. There's not one part of the brain that gets all that information. And because so much of the brain is involved in that process, they call it a, a matrix or a pain matrix because parts of the brain that deal with emotion, uh, parts of the brain that deal with stress, part of the brain that regulate our hormones, parts of our brain that deal with our, our motivations and how we think and feel about things and what kind of decisions we make is all wrapped into that, into that matrix. Does and it stop at the brain? Does it stop? Because I mean, I, I also um, think the whole the whole body um, can participate in that the the viscera and the the periphery um, as a, also participates in that pain perception. Yeah, that's that's a great point. That's that's exactly right. It's it's usually you know once something has been injured and the and it's become more of a chronic pain problem, it's not just one bad disc anymore or one bad foot or one bad finger but everything in the body that's connected to that directly or indirectly starts to get affected as does the whole you know the whole central nervous system and it's it's so true mm-hmm. i mean you know if you even people who have lost a limb can experience terrible pain in, as a phantom 
um, in the uh, um, and there's certainly no pain um, periphery and nerve system sparking all that off, right? Right, and we we can develop um, compensatory problems. You know, you see somebody hurt their knee, and the next thing you know, their back starts to hurt because they're compensating the way they're walking and moving because they're guarding their their injured knee. As an example, a very common situation. So not only so, so you're saying that all of the brain and, and body and the hormonal system and the emotional parts of the brain um, participate in someone's experience of pain and, on a second note, that the body is constantly compensating um, for changes um, either from an injury or from, I mean, people's emotion centers are being fired off because there's something in their environment setting off their emotional states. Um, so the, that compensation to the world also seems to impact on the experience of pain. That is exactly right. Once we start to understand that and start to pain and treating pain in that way, it really redirects us in the way that we approach things, I think, to a much more fulfilling approach for the, for the patients or the people who are dealing with these difficult and complicated situations. I, your your phone is um, cracking in and out a lot, um, and c- can you hear me well now? I can hear you well. Okay, yeah, I'm hearing you now. I lost you for a minute there. Um, if it happens again, I'll just have you call in after, um, and I'll let's see how we go. Okay. Yeah. So um, now I I find when I say that to um, patients or their families, and I, I talk a bit more broadly about the experience of, the, of pain, um, that it can be a difficult experience for families. They can feel it as potentially invalidating, um, that you're saying, what, it's all in my head, or you're denying the fact that I have a real cause of my pain, or, or their eyes roll up and they say, oh, you're, you're going to give me a holistic approach here, um, and they feel sort of passed over. Do you, do you have that difficulty, or um, do, you, do you find that um, families really take to this idea that there's a broader issue at stake here? Well, that's a great question, and interestingly, I, I think that, that I would run into that situation, I feel, a lot more when I was earlier into my practice, and I think... I don't have as hard a time explaining that now to folks and family members, and I don't know if it's because I, I've refined my 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 spiel, so to speak, a little bit better, or if people are a little bit more open-minded and in tune to to what is is healthy and well, um, as opposed to maybe ten years ago. But but that still still comes up and. And some people can initially almost feel insulted if you're implying that that there's a psychological component to to their their pain experience. Right. Yeah. But I, I think that that's absolutely right. There's such a advance in the understanding of um, the psychological impact on pain and environmental impact on pain, um, and that it's not so much all about the a pain center. Um, just registering a burn, causing a response, um, but a whole adaptive process involving the spinal cord and 
various parts of the brain to um, have a sort of response, a, a, a stance and an experience of, um, of what's happening to them in the world, right? Yes, and, and I think having that type of conversation with somebody is usually a pretty deep, intense emotional discussion. And usually, once it continues for a few minutes and there's some back and forth and the, the other person who's talking to you about their pain starts to connect a little bit more with what you're saying, I, I, I think emotions start to come out. And I, I, think, I think you get there uh, with folks where I think they understand the magnitude uh, of, their, of their circumstances. But you do have to be careful about how you introduce the the different aspects of chronic pain and and how you help them try to understand why it's important to to deal with their emotions and their mood and and those kind of things. And and that's another area where you have to be careful with with how you use medications. You know, if you're – a lot of times the medications can hide a lot of things inside a person – Maybe it's 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 hiding mo- emotional feelings or thoughts or issues that they have about their pain or where it came from or how it started, and and those things maybe need to be processed in order for a person to actually feel better and, and get it off their their chest, so to speak. But if if it keeps getting hidden away or pushed away by the medicines that are acting on their brain, then that can be a problem too. So do you find, we'll come to the um, psychological questions in the next sections, I think, um, psychological aspects. Um, But I wanted to ask you, you know, we talked a bit about um, the surgical interventions, a bit about the opiates, um, and it struck me, you know, the title of your book is Chronic Pain, Take Charge of Chronic Pain. Is there something special? Tell me what's special about chronic pain as opposed to an acute pain, uh, which makes this a different situation and why you can't just, uh, why perhaps a surgical intervention shouldn't just take care of things. Well, understanding the difference is really critical to understanding why one treatment works better for acute pain and the other works better for, for chronic pain. And acute pain is typically what happens when we first get injured, when there's an acute injury of some sort, like we, we break something or we sprain something, and we know that hurts. And there's usually a lot of swelling and inflammation at the location where that, that injury happens, and, and, and that hurts. And as that starts to heal over time, as that injury starts to heal, the inflammation goes down and the swelling goes down, and, and things start to feel better uh, until we're able to start to use whatever was injured again per- pretty well. And that's yeah. the, acute, the acute model, and that's where, we, that's where our understanding of pain comes from. And that becomes a problem when we rely on that model in trying to understand and treat a chronic pain situation, which is a situation where the injury maybe took place a long time ago or maybe six months ago or a year ago, and and is no longer the issue. The issue is now the pain, and, and the pain is now more of the disease than the original sprain or strain or fracture that, that may have happened a, a year or two before. 
And that's a so situation... Now, so, now we're into the realm of all those compensatory changes that we've talked about, not just exactly. in the brain structures and the, and the, and the spinal cord, but also... Um, perhaps compensations in how people are standing. If they've hurt their knee, now they're going to get back pain. And the whole body's now participating in kind of shielding and coping and compensating to the pain. Exactly. Uh, I'd like to finish up, um, finish this part of our conversation after a short break. So we'll take that now. Okay. Thanks. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hi, welcome back. This is Mark Green sitting in for Mary with, um, with Peter Abachi, author of Take Charge of the Chronic Pain. Peter, let's just finish up on this piece about acute and chronic pain. Um, we were saying before the break that while acute pain, there is some serial injury which needs to be taken care of. That's sort of no longer necessarily the issue with chronic pain, that now we're in the realm of compensatory changes and, um, and that that needs to be the focus a lot more in chronic pain treatment than there's something causing the pain which we have to take out or change, right? That's right. And I I devote a whole chapter in the book to 
inactivity and and what happens when we start to shut down when we're in pain and I, I, I take the the reader through some examples of why compensating or overcompensating or, or becoming inactive in some cases actually makes our pain much worse. And when we start to not use something that's hurting and overuse something else, what we find is the thing that we're not using, the body part we stop using, gets worse, gets more stiff, and starts to hurt more. And the other body part that we start overusing starts to hurt more as well because we're overusing it. And it becomes a, a, a vicious cycle. So it can be so frightening to begin um, the process of moving and pushing yourself beyond very small limits because because the pain um, and the body's response actually causes a big fear reaction, right? Exactly. You're 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 using the right buzzwords. Frightening and fear is 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 what happens when we're in pain, and as it becomes more chronic pain, it becomes the the sort of evil stepmother in, in our story uh, of what we have to try to overcome. And it's very hard when we're hurting to understand where the fears are that are maybe holding us back from getting better and, and how we, we can best identify them and how we can work through them successfully. And we, we often need some help from, you know, physical therapists or other types of therapists to, to understand where those those limits are coming from and where our fears are and how we can work through them. Because the first answer that occurs is it's hurting because there's something damaged there and I've got to protect it. Exactly, and that goes back to our difference between the acute pain and the chronic pain. With acute pain, it is protecting us. It's telling us don't walk on your broken ankle because it's broken, and the pain tells us not to do that until it heals. But when our broken ankle is healed, and one year later, we're still not using it because it still hurts, that's a problem. And that means our ankle's getting weak and our, the muscles in our leg are getting weak and, and we're not as healthy as we should be. Mm-hmm. And why is it that opiates um, or the chronic use of opioids um, for the treatment of chronic pain um, doesn't alleviate that and allow us to get back to... Um, regular activity why are they a problem in the system well it's you know it's interesting they're the strongest pain medicines we have and and logic would say my gosh if we give somebody who's hurting really bad the strongest pain medicines we have you would expect that to to be the best or most successful plan you could come up with mm-hmm. but but what happens is with chronic pain being different than acute pain and when people stay on the opiates or, or try to use them to manage their chronic pain on, for a long-term basis, we see not only do things not work out well, but it often causes a lot of problems. And, and new research, which is coming out that, that I discuss in the book, brings up this idea of something called opiate-induced hyperalgesia, which is a, a fancy medical word that nobody's going to remember very well, but... I call it the pain pill paradox, and, and what that means is when folks stay on those types of narcotic or opiate-based painkillers for a prolonged period of time, in some cases, their pain actually gets worse, and they actually feel worse, not better. It's almost like I use the example of you're on high blood pressure medicine to control your blood pressure, 
but after a while, your blood pressure medicine makes your blood pressure actually go up and not and not keep it under good control, and that's what's happening to our pain with a lot of the uh, pain medicines that we often try to use to manage. And we can see that without any fancy words because there's tons of people who have been on opiates for years and remain in terrible chronic pain. You know, in um, in programs where people are on high doses of methadone, although primarily for treatment of opiate um, dependence, um, something like 50% of the clinic can have chronic, I think it will, between 40 and 60, I can't remember, can have chronic severe pain. And they're on enormous doses of uh, opiates. Yes, know? and I, I see that every day in, in my clinical practice, and I, I have a lot of it. I think interesting examples, case studies in the book of of, of that and and what that does to a person's life, and it's sometimes scary. So, what do you do? Um, so, you mentioned you know that we've been talking about this terrible fear and anticipation, this over reliance on um, both pills and surgical um, interventions. What do you do when someone's coming in? They have this terrible fear. And um, and they their body is telling them protect yourself. Well, I, I I lecture actually to patients about this all the time. I give a I give a lecture to them, and we talk about this a lot. And one of the the ways that I try to help them understand to the, the method of trying to overcome the fear part. I'm losing you a bit again, Peter. It's hard to get that space. I think what we're going to do is have a break and maybe have you call in um, to try and get you back again, okay? Okay. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hello, it's Mark Green with Peter Abachi. We're back. Peter was having some um, difficulties with his phone, um, but hopefully things go smoothly from here. So, Peter, um, you were telling us a bit about how you talk to people about that pain and that fear. 
and transition them to take some different approaches. Yes, and I, I think that the key in that process is developing confidence, and confidence comes little by little, and it's, it's almost like the old adage of learning how to walk again, and one step at a time, and making slow, gradual progress sometimes with what you're trying to overcome. You know, for some folks, it might be a frozen shoulder that they're trying to get range of motion in again, and how to slowly and gradually get to that point and learn which muscles to engage that maybe are asleep. And it's a fear, it's a fear-based process that as we develop confidence little by little each step of the way, after a while we start to develop that faith that we have uh, in ourselves and that we can manage this and, and overcome this, these challenges. And that's usually how people succeed. So you'll set them um, tasks. For example, I've got lower back pain. I got, I got a, uh, I assume it's a slip disc, but I went nowhere near a surgeon. I refused an MRI because I didn't want to go down that path. Yeah. But I'm very tentatively now getting back to gentle deadlifts and, and lifting and back exercises, very small. My urge is to get back to what I was doing, but I don't. Um, but I feel that anxiety and pain and fear um, and just try and take very small incremental um, steps to, to, to have some successes. Is that the kind of approach that you have in the clinic? Yes, and I, 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 I'm thinking of my own story of, you know, I, I have a, a story about my own pain problems in the in, in the introduction of, of my book, but also remembering about when I threw my back out uh, a couple years ago and where I couldn't move and I locked, I was locked up and I was exercising at the gym and, and I did something and it, and it started and I couldn't breathe or bend to forward and I was panicking and, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, what's happening to me? And, mm-hmm. and, and taking myself through that process of breathing and gradually moving so by the end of the day I was able to touch my toes again but helping myself get through that because there's so much anxiety involved and I I remember when I was driving home that morning from from the gym and I got out of the car I I almost oh there you go again your your phone is um, crackling a lot now let's try I'm sorry oh when I interrupt you it gets better I'll just interrupt you more keep interrupting and, and, and that, that sort of intense anxiety that comes in and, and how you slowly work your way out of, out of kind of a, a black hole, so to speak, it's, uh, it, it, it works. That's what works. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you use other methods other than just scaling physical therapy um, and um, helping people get through that fear state. Um, or maybe that's the crux of much of the work, but you've mentioned that there's a lot of interesting approaches in your book. Do you want to say some about some of the other ones that have interested you? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to, and, and it's all about developing tools, and the more tools we have in our toolbox, the more successful we're going to be at managing our pain. And one interesting thing that we've tapped into at our at our center for many years now is, is using art therapy, which has been a very interesting way of connecting with people, helping them process emotions and feelings that, that they could never 
articulate maybe in verbal way or even writing it out and helping people get connected with things that are going on and then helping them not just get connected with some of their past issues but helping them move forward and actually use the art therapy as a healing process to, to, to get healthier and get better it's so it's so interesting uh, how that plays in and and how the creative side of the mind that we often shut shut down or close down when we're not feeling well how that can be one of our biggest assets in, in getting healthy again and and feeling so how better is that? again is that because you're just um, relaxing or that you're um, when you're doing the art therapy are you um, depicting some aspect of the pain and trying to deliberately change your depiction of it? I mean, what's the well, it, story it, here? Well, there, there's so many. I think the answer is, is all of the above and, and, and more, and there's so many interesting things. I, you, to use the example of, of stroke therapy, and when someone's had a stroke and they're trying to get rehabilitated, and we know that when they've had a stroke, there's a part of their brain that's been damaged by the stroke and it's not working well, and we've learned over the years that using music therapy helps stroke patients get rehabilitated and it helps their brain kind of recover by engaging some of those creative centers of the brain. And I think the art therapy works in a similar way for folks who are dealing with chronic pain because I, I think like a stroke, there are parts of their brain that aren't, aren't as engaged as it was before they were in pain and it kind of helps bring things to life again for that's very interesting to me i'm going to push you a bit on that okay is there is there some like which parts of the brain get exercised during music or art and and not quite so much during pain chronic pain states well that you know for example let's take um let's take grieving and we know that there may be some parts of the brain Maybe our limbic system um, is stuck where we're grieving or not able to grieve adequately over something. Maybe we were in pain and we were injured and we've lost our ability to to do something that that we love because of our injury and, and we're grieving that, but yet we don't know how to explain that to anybody. We don't even know that that's going on but once we start doing some of the, the projects that our art therapist does, we start to see somebody's grieving on paper, and they start to see it. And once they start to see that, then they start to use what they're doing, with using their projects as a way of getting past the grieving, actually feel better, and you'll see signs of hope and and start to come out in their projects. I'm going to have to interrupt you again. Let's see if this helps. Um, okay, try again now. So what, we, what we'll see is people will, will communicate their grieving through their art projects in ways that they weren't able to ever get in touch with and didn't even maybe know existed inside of them. And as they do that, they will start to use that process, that healing process, and start to show hope and happiness and feel-good things will start to come out in their art as they start That's to very change. Interesting. It's almost as if the, you're thinking more flexibly about the experience of the pain. 
um, and um, also depicting it and getting a distance from it so that you're not feeling perhaps so um, so under its thumb, um, but it's becoming something which you're working with and entering into a bit more of a communication with but, and thinking more creatively about. That, yeah, that's, that's really well said, Mark. It's almost like you're, you're taking a piece of it out of your, your inside and, and holding it out in front of you and looking at it, and it's, you're, you're remolding the clay and the putty and then trying to put it back in in a better way. Mm-hmm. And just, um, <clears throat> I think that this ties in perhaps with both um, acceptance approaches and spirituality, that instead of feeling powerless, and we know that the experience of powerlessness um, engage those stress hormone systems that you write about in the book, um, and um, uh, which are so important in the experience of um, pain uh, states. But the um, the experience of acceptance and perhaps a spiritual look shifts that state of um, suffering and, and passivity. Into a, into a relationship and a sense of humility and um, collaboration, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe uh, also increases that, that flexibility in the brain um, rather than just this more black and white um, struggle. I, I, I think that's very, very true. If you, if you take the simple of planting uh, a plant in the ground and a flower and you want it to grow and be a beautiful flower, it has to have the best conditions to grow in. It needs the right soil. It needs to be watered the right amount. It needs to be in a supportive environment in order for the the plant or the flower to grow. And, And I think we're the same way. We have to create a nurturing, health promoting environment for ourselves inside and out in order for us to to get healthy again or 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 we'll never you know the the seed will never get out of the ground and that's where understanding acceptance and things like that can be helpful because even though it sounds like giving up it's actually not giving up it's it's letting go of something that's creating a toxic environment for us that doesn't allow us to heal and once we we start to get past that and start to accept our, our situation for, for what it might be, people start to feel a whole lot better. And, and it, I think it, it, it clears out a lot of the toxic environmental stuff that, that he, keeps us from moving forward. It's such an interesting... This is so um, pervasive through mental health these days, this idea of stopping struggling um, and changing that awful wretched, powerless, no, not powerless, helpless suffering into a state of um, mindful observation and, and accepting the whole experience that you're having, but also remaining committed to a functional um, life where you're moving the way you want to move, where you're having the relationships that you want to be doing, and not allowing the pain to be the master um, that you are um, having to miserably um, submit to all the time. One of the examples I use to that point is um, the whole 
law of nature of having four seasons. And we go from winter to spring to summer to fall, and then we go through cycles. Mm-hmm. And if we can realize that life is about cycles and nature goes through cycles and that winter doesn't have to last forever and that suffering doesn't have to last forever, then I think it's easier to accept and say, hey, okay, I'm in winter right now, but I know spring's coming up next. And if I allow myself to open up my, my eyes and my ears to where that is and where, where spring is starting and jump in there when the time comes, I'll have my day again. And things so one be of better. the things that can, is so important, perhaps, from a pain program and from the companionship of a good art therapist or a good physical therapist or a good doctor or, um, is beginning to notice those first hopeful shoots um, that when you're bending a little bit further or um, stretching a little bit more, lifting a little bit more, you can really celebrate it. That's a way of... Um, it's a way of clearing away the miserable winter of fear um, that holds you back, but really emphasizing the, the progress. Yes, and I guess the, the, the book The Secret said it best, the attitude of gratitude and, and being able to, to give thanks and appreciate the, the progress that we make is, is very valuable in that process and a lot of us have a tendency to be very hard on ourselves and and not appreciate the progress that we make and it is very valuable and i think health promoting to take a time out and say look at what i did good job i i'm I'm thankful for my progress and i'm gonna i'm gonna keep keep moving ahead with that and i think it really does help you also talk in the book to very pragmatic um pragmatic things like sleeping properly, attending to sleep. And is there a great link between sleep and pain and an important emphasis on restoring good sleep? Well, I'll tell you, Mark, I think the biggest complaint my patients have that come to my office besides their pain is that they don't sleep well. And I think it's a universal struggle for people who are dealing with pain and probably Beyond that as well, I think a lot of people in our society don't don't sleep well, and I, I, I use the example when I when I talk to my patients of a, of a casino. And when you think about going inside of a casino, there's lights everywhere and lots of noise and a lot of stimulation, and there's no windows and there's no way out. And often that's the way our our society is now today. It's like living in a casino. And when we're when we're suffering or, or not feeling well, on top of that, it, it's like it's overloading us to the point that we're not able to to calm down and and relax and sleep. And mm. and everybody has a hard time with that. And, and definitely, it's something I, I touch on in the book to help people learn some some basic tools on relaxing and sleeping better. But it's so many techniques in your book. You also talk about Qigong and Tai Chi and yoga and Pilates on the nature of an interdisciplinary pain service, um, on breathing techniques. Um, there's, uh, it's a very, very rich book and you've also got some good photos of different exercises to do. Um, it's, uh, it's a shame that we don't have more time to talk. But um, you've been an excellent guest. So how can people find out more information about your clinic and about you and your work? 
Well, I have a website for the book. It's takechargeofyourchronicpain.com. Takechargeofyourchronicpain.com. And my center, the Bay Area Pain and Wellness Center, has a website, BAPWC.com. Mm-hmm. And all, all our contact information is there. Fantastic. Well, I do recommend this book. I think it's very good, actually. Um, very nice overview, and it's very pragmatic and uh, thoughtful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Peter, um, thanks for being our guest, and um, good talking with you. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.